Teen Author Bootcamp presents The Next Best Seller, a podcast for aspiring teen authors. I am your host, Maddie Bramble. I'm a 17-year-old marketing intern at TABC and I'm currently on my journey to write a book, just like many of you. On The Next Best Seller, we will learn all about the craft of writing from published authors, from what an author's day might look like to the nitty-gritty process of editing, from character development to plotting your novel. We will reveal all you need to know to become a best-selling author yourself. Today's guest on the next bestseller podcast is Christopher Paolini. Christopher was born in Southern California and has lived most of his life in Paradise Valley, Montana. He published his first novel, Aragon, in 2003 at the age of 19 and quickly became a publishing phenomenon. His inheritance cycle, Aragon and its three sequels, has sold nearly 40 million copies worldwide. To Sleep in a Sea of Stars is his first adult novel. You can find Christopher Paolini online at paolini.net, fractalverse.net, and Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Okay, well now we have Christopher on the podcast, which we're so excited um, that he's able to come. Um, Hi, Christopher. Hi, Madeline. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Of course, and I'm so excited to hear all the writing advice that we and us teens can get from you. Well, hopefully I have some uh, helpful things to say, uh, if not, maybe some funny things. Okay, so what is one interesting fact that most people don't know about you? Ooh, um... Well, I, I, I really enjoy playing Minecraft, actually. And I've built, like, giant structures and all sorts of machines, and I, I absolutely love Minecraft. It's like a game that was designed to trap my brain. So I try not to play too much of it, because otherwise I'll never write another book. But, um, yeah, I just finished a giant storage system that can actually hold every four chests of every single item in the game, of which there's... I forget, like over 800 some items. So yeah, I like playing Minecraft. That's awesome. I used to play it a kid, but you know, I was more the person that kind of like just built kind of fancy castles, that kind of thing, you know? I I have a fancy castle. I also have a machine that I built, which I didn't invent. I have to be clear. I didn't invent this, but I built a machine that kills the ender dragon with one arrow. That's so cool. Well, fun little hobby. (laughs) Have you ever wondered how authors find time to write even with busy schedules? When do they write? What helps them get in the mindset to write? I'm here with Christopher Paolini to find out what a day in the life as an author looks like for him. Well, give us a brief overview of your story, Aragon, and kind of what teens can can look for in your stories. Well, Aragon is the story of a young man named Aragon who becomes intricately linked with this brilliant sapphire blue baby dragon named Sephira. And together they go on a series of adventures and there are duels and dragons and battles and villains and romance and all the good stuff a story needs. Uh, There are four books in the main series, which is called The Inheritance Cycle, and then there's a smaller companion book called The Fork, The Witch, and The Worm, and hopefully more books to come out in the future. So it's, it's grand epic fantasy, and if that's your cup of tea, then you might enjoy it. Yeah, I've, I've read some of it. I started it, 
haven't gone through it because you know I'm a teenager and life is busy but I it was one of those books that I like got hooked off right from like the first page awesome so how did you kind of come up with that story Aragon Ooh, uh, great question. I mean, this will sort of tip into some of the stuff we can talk about uh, in terms of uh, uh, writing advice later on. But for me, it was a whole bunch of factors. I love reading. I love writing. And growing up, I was an avid consumer of fantasy and science fiction and and books in general. Uh, I was also homeschooled, so uh, I graduated from high school early. I graduated at 15. Uh, My sister actually graduated at 14 because she decided it was a race and didn't tell me until she won. And so it was too late to do anything about that. Um, But uh, yeah, we we graduated early, mostly the result of not taking any summer breaks. And when I graduated, my first thought was, you know, this is going to be awesome. No more school. I can do whatever I want. Uh, And it was awesome for about two weeks. And then I got really, really bored because I didn't drive, I wasn't in school, I didn't have a job. It's like, what am I going to do? I live out in the middle of nowhere in Montana. So I decided to try and write the sort of story that I enjoyed reading. And I was specifically inspired by a book called Jeremy Thatcher, Dragon Hatcher by Bruce Coville, which is a great young adult book uh, about a young man in the real world who goes into this antique shop and ends up buying a stone that, uh, spoilers, uh, is actually a dragon egg. And I love that idea so much of a young man finding a dragon egg that I started asking myself all sorts of questions like, you know, what sort of a world would a dragon come from? How might someone find a dragon egg out in the middle of the forest? Uh, dragon eggs can't be that common, so who else would be looking for the egg? And, and you know, how does my, my young hero live in the world? What's his family? How do they survive? And so by asking and then trying to answer those questions, I slowly built up the world and the story. And uh, that that kind of is how I got started. And I, I never expected that over 25, 20 years later, I'd still be talking about it. Yeah, that's so cool. It's sometimes it's crazy how little things that start off small can like change our lives in huge, yeah. big ways. Yeah, it's been 23 years since I started Aragon. That's So that's... coming up on a quarter of a century. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, kind of like in these 20 years of being a writer, what has been your favorite experience? Wow. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard, it's hard to pick one because um, I've had some really amazing experiences. Um, I mean, getting to present in front of huge crowds, getting to travel, but the, none of those are why I wrote and none of those are why I write. Uh, you know, I write to tell other people's stories. So I think what's been most um, important to me is hearing how the books have touched people's lives, you know, people who've named their children after some of the characters, people who get tattoos based off of things in the books, um, just, or hearing that, you know, hey, Aragon's the book that got me into reading back in the day and inspired me and now I read all the time. And that sort of, that sort of feedback is so incredibly rewarding as an author. Uh, And of course, uh, the books have been successful, which has allowed me to be a writer and a storyteller professionally, which has been incredibly important to me and has been my work uh, for my entire life. So all of that has meant a lot and has been absolutely amazing. 
Yeah, I think it's definitely about the people, right? I mean, it's about you as you start writing, but seeing how that branches off to other people is, I'm sure, such an incredible experience. Sure. I mean, the, the best way to succeed in life is by giving other people what they want. Yeah, and they may not know they want it in the first place. You know, no one knew they wanted Aragon necessarily before I wrote it. Uh, although you could have, you know, you could have hazarded a guess. But no, being able to do something for other people and then have that be your living is really a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, what was the trickiest part of writing Aragon? Because I'm sure it was <laughs> no easy task. Uh, my lack of experience. And I think that's always going to be the biggest stumbling block for any young writer. Your lack of experience, my lack of experience, is, is something you can't get around, ultimately. Now, you can, you can kind of gloss over it by reading a lot and thinking a lot and talking a lot, and those, the, all those things help you. But ultimately, there is no substitute for putting in thousands of hours of work with writing and, and then just also living and feeling things and experiencing things and doing that over and over again. And that gives you a storehouse of knowledge that helps you write convincing interactions between people and, and write about topics that hopefully other people will find meaningful and important. So that really was my biggest disadvantage. And one of the ways that it manifested was in just the style of the writing, you know, because it takes time to really learn how to say things and how to get good. Uh, if, if, I, if I could go back and tell myself anything in terms of just purely the writing style, it would be to stop trying to be so fancy and just say things clearly and simply. Because if the if the events themselves are meaningful in the story, you know, if if it's meaningful what's happening, that will convey a lot of emotion to the readers. And you don't need to, you know, try too hard ultimately. Um, that's why now nowadays I've been writing science fiction and it's been fun to uh, cut back on some of the flowery prose from fantasy and really concentrate more on that cleaner approach. And now that I'm planning on returning to fantasy, I think I can strike a better balance between uh, the flowery prose and the more stripped down style. So, so all and, and actually I was aware of all this when I started writing and that's one of the reasons why my I deliberately chose to write an archetypal coming-of-age fantasy story as my first book because I knew that type of story worked. It's like, I, this is the sort of story people have been telling for thousands of years, right? A young hero with a magic sword going off into the world to confront an evil king and uh, learn things along the way. This is a classic, classic story. And that gave me a safety net. It's like I knew the story worked on a basic level, and then I could concentrate on the things that I was weakest on, which were, you know, prose style, uh, interpersonal inter interaction in the in the uh, in the story a uh, pacing all of those things that I lacked experience on if I had tried to let's say write a completely experimental or unique story I think I would not have been able to write a book that ultimately succeeded the way Aragon succeeded not not at that age yeah yeah that's that's really awesome I think advice as well as perspective because I think a lot of teen writers are like I'm not good now, so I'll never be good, all right? But it, it takes time. It takes time. I mean, like, it, okay, if you wanted to learn how to play a musical instrument, let's say you wanted to learn the piano or the guitar, and you 
don't know how to play it, and you sit down, you pick up the instrument, or you sit down at the instrument and you start playing, you wouldn't expect to be good, right? No one expects to be good at a musical instrument. It's the same thing with writing. And so, you know, with the musical instrument, if you have any sort of knowledge about how this works, you don't get discouraged because you sound horrible. You just say, well, this was the first day. I'm going to practice and I'll get better. It's going to suck and I'm not going to like it at times, but I know that if I practice and if I get instruction, I will get better. Will I become a concert pianist? Will I become, you know, the lead guitarist of of a rock band? Probably not. But I know I can get better than, you know, 80, 90 percent of people if I just put the time in. So same thing with writing. And that's the other thing. Like if I could give myself one piece of specific life professional advice when I was starting out, it would be that mistakes are a normal part of the process. And if you if you just because you write a bad sentence or a bad paragraph or a bad scene or character or even a bad draft of your book doesn't make you a bad writer if you look at published examples of editing from authors who have been working for 20 30 40 years you know really good writers you'll see that even people who've been working for decades and decades still are ripping apart their prose are still fixing things from their first drafts it's normal what would make you a bad author or a bad writer is if you write something that doesn't work and you realize it or it's pointed out to you and then you don't put the time in to fix it. Um, but the other thing is that you can't fix something that doesn't exist. So if you sit around obsessed over getting it right on the first try, I mean, you might be able to, but you're probably going to hamstring yourself and slow your own learning process by obsessing over it to such a degree you know try write something that isn't perfect learn how to fix it and then you'll do better with your next project and then you get to move on to a new project instead of spending 10 years on one book which having done that i don't recommend it (laughs) yeah well when you're trying to write and you're trying to find like your way into the writing world what are the or i guess when you're just writing Mm. um what is what habits do you like help you get in the mindset to write? Ooh, good question. Um, I mean, it helps to have a routine. It really does. Uh, you, you can write without one, but it is difficult. So having a space that you customarily write in, uh, having little habits, like maybe you get a cup of tea, uh, maybe you put on a certain piece of music, uh, you know, maybe you you know, uh, do it at a certain time. Again, that's what I would recommend. Little habits help. And if you're having trouble getting started, it can be that this is a really useful trick because uh, we all procrastinate at times or we all feel like, oh, this is such a big daunting task. I don't even know what to do at first or, you know, I'm a little scared or I just don't feel like it. So what can really help is you tell yourself and you have to mean it. This you don't you don't lie to yourself. You have to actually mean it when you tell yourself this, you say, I'm going to set a timer. I'm going to write for five minutes and that's it. All I have to do is five minutes and I'm done for the day. 99.9% of the time, if you do that, you will not stop at five minutes because it, starting is the hard bit. Once you've started, you can keep moving forward. So uh, those are some of the things I do. Um, you know, just, yeah, having a routine, having a routine. I mean, for me, I get co- I get coffee in the morning. I sit at my computer, I read my email, I answer my email, I'll glance at the internet, 
And then I usually start working around, I want to say 10 to 11. And I usually work until late afternoon. Uh, I stop, I, I exercise, spend time with my family, usually have dinner, and then I often work again in the evening for another two to four hours, depending on the time. Mm -hmm. I think that's really smart. Just like five minutes and five minutes isn't as daunting as telling yourself you're going to sit down for the entire day. Yeah. And small progress over time adds up a lot. You know, if you can, I mean, if you can write a manuscript fast, that's always better because you get through it, you maintain your enthusiasm. But if your schedule doesn't allow for that, or you're having to work out problems in the story or the world, alternatively, if you do one page a day, and a page is not very much, you know, you can <laughs> probably write a page in 30 minutes, if, if not less, um, you know, you'll have a book a, a year. And that's, that's, that's a, that's not bad. Uh, you know, the difficult bit is I think it takes time to get into the writing mindset. Sometimes, you know, it takes time to sink into the right mind space. So if you have 30 minutes to write, it might take 15 minutes to get into that headspace uh, or longer. So I usually like to have at least three hours to write in. Um, and in that three hours, I probably only get one solid hour of writing. But that's why I like to have longer blocks. Like if I have five hours, then, you know, I'm getting at least four hours of good writing in. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Well, what with Aragorn, if you could go back and change one thing, what would you change? Ooh, um, well, there's a section at the beginning of the book where Aragon is spending time with the dragon Saphira, and she's very young. She's she's like a baby. And I would love to have just like one more scene or two with with Aragon and Saphira when she's this baby dragon. Uh, it's a special time between them, and I think it would be nice to show that to the readers a little bit more. Uh, aside from that, I, I mean, I'd probably tweak a lot of the prose in the book because uh, I've learned so much about writing since then. Yeah. Well, who are the two biggest authors that have impacted your life as a writer and you, kind of your writing processes? Ooh. Boy, I'm not sure I can pick just two. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a tough question. Uh, if we're talking nonfiction, okay, you know what? I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to divide into fiction and nonfiction. So if we're talking about nonfiction, I would say Story by Robert McKee, which is a book for screenwriters, and it deals specifically with the structure of stories. And before I read that book, I had never really considered the fact that stories have structures and that you can consciously control them. And that's what allows you to go from an idea, which is not a story, to a fully developed plot. Like an idea would be a young man finds a dragon egg in a forest. Great, but that's not a story. A story is the full sequence of events that follows that leading up to one would hope a satisfactory conclusion. So Story by McKee was incredibly helpful for me. Uh, along those lines also, there's a book called Style by F.L. Lucas. And it's actually a business a book written for businessmen who need needed to write like uh, nice uh, corporate letters and stuff like that back in the 1950s or so. But it's one of the best books I've ever read on prose style, on how to write well, you know, how to write good prose. Uh, so those two were very influential on me. On the fiction side, I would say Dune by Frank Herbert. 
and boy, I mean, there are so many. I, I <laughs> uh, and Anna Karenina by Tolstoy. And the reason I say Anna Karenina is that when I read it, I'd been reading a lot of sort of modern hack and slash sword and sorcery style books at that time. And when I read Anna Karenina, it really showed me what literature could accomplish, the depths that it could um, reach and the heights that it could reach. And it was so much more sophisticated than what I had been reading. It was like this veil got pulled away from my eyes. I was like, oh, wow, yes, yes. This, this reaffirms what I love about writing, even though it's not, doesn't have any dragons in it. Going on, um, what was your writing kryptonite? <laughs> My writing kryptonite, ooh, um, well, with the inheritance cycle, it was writing this character named Arya, who is this elven uh, woman who's about 120 years old. And I am many things, but I am not a 120-year-old elven woman. So she was difficult for me to write, and I was fortunate to have some really good feedback from my family and from my editor, who all of whom helped me uh, do justice to Arya's character and, and present a better version of her than I would have if, I, if it had just been me writing all on my own. So she was, she was difficult. Um, in general, though, uh, I think sometimes it's just finding the motivation to write on the same projects day in and day out. And that's something that I think every writer deals with on occasion. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I totally agree. And I think all our teen writers can relate. <laughs> sometimes the hardest thing to get yourself to actually write. Yeah. Well, I, what helps is remembering why you fell in love with a story in the first place. And then also your larger motivations for writing and keeping those firmly in your mind so that you're you're not wasting time that you'll regret later on. So what is one writing rule or kind of piece of advice that you have ignored? Mm. Mm. No one's asked me that before. I think the advice to avoid the passive, yeah, the advice to avoid the passive voice at all times. There are lots of pieces of writing advice out there which are delivered with ironclad certainty as if you must adhere to these rules 100% of the time. And that really isn't the case. That's actually one of my issues with Strunk and White, which is a famous style guide, of course, is uh, they issue lots of proclamations on you must do it this way, you must do it that way. And sometimes they even break their own rules in explaining those rules without commenting or necessarily realizing it. So uh, passive voice is one of those things where it is good to avoid it most of the time, but it is still a useful tool. As an example, <clears throat> if you say, I was born on the 4th of July, that's passive. Uh, the active form of that would be, my mother gave birth to me on the 4th of July. But you wouldn't phrase it that way unless you want the focus to be on the person who performed the action, which would be your mother. Uh, saying, I was born, the focus is on you, or he was born, or she was born, then the focus is on the person who was born. So, in general, keeping in mind those sorts of exceptions and that the rules themselves are guidelines, but not ironclad laws. Yeah. 
I think all writing rules are kind of like if they work for you, great. If yeah. not, try it your own way. I mean, it's like adverbs. You know, uh, if you look at any great writer, they all use adverbs. You will not find a single great writer, I think, who avoids adverbs 100% of the time. And some of them, like Dickens and, and others, uh, use them rather profusely. But that said, the advice to avoid adverbs is there because unless you know what you're doing, it's very easy for them to become wiggle words or extra words that kind of detract from the um, the main punch of your story. There are writers like Elmer Leonard who wrote crime fiction, who he really did avoid adverbs for the most part. Uh, but every once in a while, he, he'd, he'd slip one in when it when it seemed appropriate. Yeah. In your own opinion, what is the most important quality and how does it help you become a better writer? Persistence. There are plenty of talented writers with unfinished manuscripts on their computers or in their drawers. And there are many other less lesser talented authors who are have a great work ethic and are productive and as a result are able to uh, publish consistently and support themselves as authors. Persistence beats everything and persistence plus talent is the ultimate combination i have always i don't know why but even as a kid i've always been rather stubborn and when i start something i like to finish it and i really really hate to walk away from any project now that's that's sometimes a detriment you know that's not always a good thing but in general i think for any sort of creative person but especially for writers you have to be consistent and persistent. And you have to be willing to continue pushing forward even when the world is telling you you can't do it or that this is not gonna work out. You know, there are, it is easy for people to tell you you can't do something. They may even be right, but you can't listen to them. Because if you do, you'll never try. And if you try, you will learn and grow as an artist and as a person, and there is always a chance you are going to succeed. Uh, there are so many more opportunities for everything in the world nowadays. I mean, there have never been this many people. There never, there's never been all this technology. There's never been all this wealth. Uh, there are op opportunities out there, uh, and if you listen to the naysayers, you'll just do what everyone else tells you to do, and you'll end up with outcomes that are, you know, average in a way you may not be happy with. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. And that said, and, and I think it's worth saying, if you try something that is unusual, you run the risk of failure, of falling flat on your face in a way that you wouldn't necessarily if you do things the more traditional way. But that said, doing things the traditional way is no guarantee of safety either. As we've seen with the pandemic and everything else, You, the universe has a way of throwing curveballs at us all. So you can live in the most safe way possible, and that ultimately may actually be more risky in the long run than daring to achieve something. Yeah, I think that's awesome advice. I kind of was like just nodding like <laughs> awesome, like giving me the motivation. Well, <clears throat> I will temper all this by saying I'm a really bad person to look to for advice on how to succeed in the publishing world because, you know, I had a really unusual path to publication and I've had a very unusual publication history. 
you know, the, the sales figures for the inheritance cycle are not what you can expect from any book, really. Uh, in fact, I probably will not write a book that sells like Aragon in the rest of my life. Um, you know, I have a great readership, or, you know, great audience. The books are doing well, but, you know, Aragon was lightning in a bottle. So, you know, anyone who's listening to this should definitely take all this with a grain of salt. I also, because I'm saying all this from the perspective of having had this extremely unusual experience, and I'm aware that it was unusual, and, and that's why I'm saying this. Yeah. Well, I think it's always, I think you learn from your failures too. Like, usually a lot of stories I've heard about publication have been, it took me 500 tries and I got one answer, right? See, and I was prepared, I was prepared for that. (laughs) Yeah, well, sometimes great things happen and other times you learn from the 499 times you fail. Well, see, and I I was ready for what I thought was the traditional path to getting published. So I wrote Aragon as a test novel. That is, I didn't think it was going to get published. I thought it was just, it was, for me, it was my way of learning how to write three, four, five hundred pages. And I figured I would write it, and then I'd go write something a little bit more serious and, and mature. And I would probably need to write two to three to four to five books before I got published because that that was what I was hearing from all of these published authors. It's like, you know, oh, you know, my books didn't get picked up till my third, my fourth, my fifth book. So that was my game plan. And as it turned out, of course, Aragon got picked up, which just kind of shocked me. Um, But that that was where I was planning to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, how is writing different now than when you were a teen? Ooh, um, it's more serious because it's my job and it is difficult to maybe transition from something that was a hobby and then it becoming your full-time job. You can't just do it whenever you want to. You really have to focus on it and treat it seriously. So there's that. Um, I'd say the biggest difference is that with experience comes more of ability to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. So when I was starting out, if I if I wanted to write a funny scene or a or a sad scene or a scary scene, I might have been able to do, to do it, but it would have been as I don't want to say as much chance as skill, but it would have been much more on the chance side of things, you know. Whether or not what I wrote worked would always been been a bit of a question mark. Nowadays, I'd say my odds of writing something that does what I wanted to do is 80 to 90%. Doesn't always happen, but I know enough that I know how to write that scary scene or that sad scene or, you know, a fast scene or a slow scene or whatever. I know the techniques that I can employ. And that makes a big, big difference. Uh, And I've also gained a much greater appreciation for you know, plotting and working things out beforehand, which I did a lot of for the inheritance cycle, but I've relearned how important that was with my most recent book. And uh, that <laughs> that is so, so helpful if you can do that. Yeah. Well, what is next on your writing journey? Well, I'm currently finishing up a prequel, a short prequel novel for my science fiction book. Uh, which is To Sleep in a Sea of Stars. We haven't announced the title of 
uh, the prequel novel. And once that's out of my hair, uh, which just requires a few tweaks and it'll be out of my hair, uh, I'm going back to write some more fantasy. I've been writing about spaceships and lasers and aliens for about 10 years, and I'm very much looking forward to writing about dragons and swords and castles again. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait for these books to be published. I will definitely catch myself up on this series because after I started Aragon, I'm like, I need to get on this train. Where have I been my whole life? <laughs> so I'll be following it. Awesome. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of them. Uh, you've got some uh, exciting things to read about as you go through the books. Yay, I'm excited. Has editing your own stories ever proven difficult? Need some advice? It might be scary to kill your little darlings, but we're here to help giving you some tips and tricks to improve your writing from your own stories. This month's teen story is from Kao Shambi. She is 13 and her story is called Introvert. Today's my 13th birthday and I'm writing a diary for the first time. It's a very special day, but not many remembered. Of course, my family remembered, but none of my friends did. To be honest, I don't have any friends. I don't like to talk to people. Many people think it's because I'm scared, but that's not the case. I just don't like to. My parents understand me no matter how different I am from other children of my age. As it was my birthday, no one stopped me from using the computer. I did some research on other children of my age, checked out their latest posts and stuff. What I noticed was quite surprising. All of them were talking about their lifestyles. None of us have the same schedule. Doesn't that make all of us different? I don't think so. The reason is that even though all of us have different routines and schedules, we are still friends. Excluding me, but we are all the same. All of them become happy when they achieve something, and so do I. I might be different, but none of us are the same. So what is one thing we liked about this story? I think the voice is clear and direct, and uh, since it's first person, that's helpful for any writer. Uh, that's, uh, that's often, you know, a suggestion for writers starting out is to try writing in first person because it can give you the voice of the character uh, nice and clearly. So I, th I thought that was very nice. How about you? I think it was just really raw, um, which I think is kind of, we talked about how a little bit before how writing needs to be very clear and mm -hmm. like not too prosy. And I really enjoyed that it was just kind of raw and you understood it and it immediately you connected to the character and you know, the things that happened in the story. I really enjoyed that. I think there could have been a little bit more depth to the story, I think. Um, I think it was very simple and like you understood the message. And this is kind of going against what I said before. Um, I'm contradicting myself. Um, I really like how the clarity in it, but I think there could be some more depth and to the story and kind of mm -hmm. what's going around uh, around them. So, so my thought, I, I, I think we're thinking in the same direction. Uh, I'll, I'm going to articulate it a little differently, though. Uh, my thought is that this is a lovely little piece, but it's not actually a story. And the reason for that is that uh, 
nothing really happens or changes. So she's going on the computer, she's looking at her friends, and she's making an observation about the lives of her friends. Uh, and it's a lovely observation. But we don't have the main character uh, changing or achieving something or striving for anything or um, yeah, becoming something new. So I'm not sure if it's a story. And now some short stories, I say short stories, some short pieces of writing are not really structured like that because they're so short, what they are is a, they're more like a picture or a mood piece where we see a moment, we appreciate the moment, and that's all we really have time for in a page or so or a couple paragraphs. But a story is commonly defined as things happen in a story, things change. So I think if I were to look at this uh, as a piece of writing for myself, that's where I would be looking is uh, how does this um, how does this knowledge of her friends change the main character or does it inspire her to do something else and then can we see that change can we see what she does and where does that lead her uh, there's there's something that's used in um, screenwriting and, and other writing which is sometimes very useful which is you can ask yourself what does my character want and that's that's what they consciously want that's what they tell themselves I want this I want that and what do they need? And they should be different things. So as an example with Aragon, Aragon wants in the first book to uh, avenge uh, something that's happened to his family and, and go out into the world and avenge this. But what he needs is to grow up and to become a fully functioning adult. And those are two separate things. Um, so you could, uh, the author here, she could ask herself what her character wants and what she needs, and addressing those two things would, I think, lead to an interesting place. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You elaborate, elaborated it a lot better than I would have. I was trying, I was like, had a thought, and I was trying to figure out how to follow through, and I was just like, my brain wasn't cooperating. But you just described writing? <laughs> that's it's like the most that's the best description of writing in general i had a thought and i was trying to describe it and <laughs> figure out how to get it out <laughs> you make a lot of sense yes so, so i don't i don't want to uh, discourage um you know uh our, our young writer here i think it's a lovely start um those are those are my thoughts and i wouldn't get discouraged at all mm -hmm. yeah i agree but i think yeah like whether she makes those changes or not, like it's still an incredible story, yeah. but there's yeah. always yeah. like always ways you can improve. I think as she moves forward to her next story, that's those could be some things she could keep in mind for, um, you know, how to structure her writing and her stories. Yeah. To enter your own work for our Kill Your Little Darling section of the podcast, check out at the next bestseller on Instagram. This podcast is sponsored by Teen Author Bootcamp. TABC is a nonprofit organization that brings best-selling authors and writing workshops to teen writers at affordable prices. For over a decade, TABC has held an annual writing conference for teens in the month of March in Provo, Utah, and is now available virtually. For more writing tips and tricks, go check out TABC on our website, teenauthorbootcamp.net, or at Teen Author Bootcamp on most social media platforms. 
Need advice that will better your craft? Well, here we go. Each week on the Next Bestseller podcast, we will focus on a specific element of writing to help you reach next level craft. This week's focus is world building, plotting, and style. Sometimes starting your story can be the most intimidating part, but Christopher is going to give us some tips about how you can develop your world and create a story that is unique to you. What is the first thing you do after you've come up with a story idea? Does world building come first or does the plot? Both. Um, they're, they're completely inter interconnected. This is like the old question of what's more important, character or story? And there are certainly stories that are more character based and there are stories that are more plot based by which I mean they're really focused on the events that happen versus the characters themselves. But if you're honest about the world you're creating, the characters you're creating, and the events that are happening, they all affect each other. So maybe you start with your characters. Well, the things they do change who they are, and also who they are dictates the things they do. The world you're creating will shape what is possible to happen in that world. And what happens in that world will change the world. So. Once I have an idea for a story, the first thing I like to do... Now, I've never published a story set in the real world, so all of this is going to be about fantasy and science fiction. The first thing I like to do is to decide what things in this world or universe are different from reality as we know it, because that is going to determine what is possible. So, if it's fantasy, it might be, is there magic? What does the magic allow? What does it what does it not allow? Um, if it's science fiction, it might be what is the technology? What does the technology permit, and what does it not permit? What do the physics of this new universe allow for, and what does it not allow for? That tells me a whole lot of interesting things. Like, like with the technology of science fiction, it might tell me the travel times. It might tell me how long it takes to get from, from point A to point B, and that's going to tell me a lot of things that are possible or not possible in my story. If if I could travel faster than light, then we can go to different star systems. If we can't travel faster than light, it would take thousands of years to go to another star system. Uh, with magic, you know, uh, can you move mountains with your mind? Do you need to pray to gods in order to cast spells? I mean, there's a whole list of things that might be possible. Uh, along with that, you can think about, you know, what the society, uh, what the civilizations of your setting are, uh, and then of course also I start thinking about my characters and the events themselves. So it all starts tying into each other very, very closely. Once I know the technology and the setting, then I can start thinking about the actual events and how that ties into the characters and who the characters are, and it all ends up being this massive mess of details and information. It's actually very helpful to keep it organized. Uh, I write a lot in notebooks when I'm doing my world building, but then I transfer the relevant information into Word files and uh, I, I organize it in a way that I can skim through it and see, okay, so here are my locations, here's my magic, here's my technology, here are the religions of this place, here are the, the governments of this place. Uh, it might seem like a lot of work, and it is, but you can do a lot of this in like a week, you know, and, and a week of work, 
prior to writing a book that you might be spending months or a year on or longer is not a whole lot, but gives you a massive payoff and gives you so many tools. So when you're actually writing, you're, you'll be able to just put in little details, you're gonna be able to tie things together, and it just makes it a lot, lot easier. Yeah. Well, so from what I've heard, I went to the TVC conference, so I've heard a little bit from you before, um, but I've heard you talk a lot about asking yourself questions mm -hmm. um, to build your world. But I'm kind of wondering what kind of questions do you ask yourself to start building a, a world that's very intricate and as we talked about, very like close, written with other parts of the plot and the characters. So I'm a big believer in internal consistency, mainly because it helps you maintain your reader's suspension of disbelief. Uh, if you break your, your reader's suspension of disbelief, it's going to be very hard for them to care about what's happening because they're, they're going to feel as if they're seeing and experiencing something that's artificial, that's not natural, that's not real. It's like those characters wouldn't behave like that. That's an easy breaking of, you know, uh, of immersion. Or if they could do this in the world, why haven't they done it before? Why does this suddenly get mentioned now? And then maybe it never gets mentioned again. Those sorts of things are problematic. It's actually easier for people to accept the existence of dragons than to accept uh, characters getting something small wrong. And by small, I mean, you know, you show someone doing backflips in full armor or, uh, you know, saddling a horse wrong. These are things that people have experience with generally or specifically, and so they know if you get it wrong. Whereas dragons, okay, dragons exist, but you cooked that food wrong. So now our character's gonna be dying of po you know, bad food poisoning or something. So you know, no, 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 that, then now I can't believe the story. Um, but as far as the questions, to me, it goes back to being being really rigorous with how you think about your world. And this just takes experience. You'll get better at it as you go along. I'm certainly better at it than when I started. So questions such as, who are these characters? Where do they live? How do they make their money? How do they support themselves? How do they put food on the table? What is the food? Where does the food come from? Uh, you know, I'm going to get really, really basic here for a second. There's an old saying from Robert Heinlein, classic science fiction author, which is, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. I'm, I think that's how he put it. There is, yeah, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, which means that you never get anything for free. So where is the energy in your world coming from? You know, if it's technolo technology, how are the lights being powered? Uh, if it's fantasy, you know, where does the food on the table comes from? You know, how are the animals being fed? All of this other stuff, you can go too far with this, of course. You could spend all your life world building and never write anything. But getting some basic answers really helps everything hang together. Um, so that when your characters go to a city, for example, in a fantasy world, you have some idea of, hey, how do the people here grow their food? How do they, you know, is it a trading city? Is it is it a religiously based city? You know, is it is it a, you know, governmental center? Is it, you know, what level of technology? And and again, you can you can do a lot of this fairly fast, but putting some thought into it makes it all hang together. And then you get your unique elements from the things that you've changed from the real world, whether that's magic, technology, 
social elements like you've created a new religion or you've created a new governmental system and then you can think about how that might change how people think and and one thing that's very difficult to do but is wonderful if you can pull it off is to keep in mind that someone who's raised in a different environment uh, is going to think differently about things and is going to have different opinions about things and is not going to behave like you or I or some modern person put into that situation. Uh, you know, if if there's, you know, religion's an easy example here. If there is a religion in that in your world, unless there's a very specific reason why your character might be cynical or might not believe it, they'd probably believe it. And if they believe it, then let them take it seriously. Uh, just like people from the past did when they were believing, believing in Thor and Odin and stuff like that, you know. It wasn't pretend for them, it was real for them. So all of those things are important to keep in mind. You know, if your character was, I'm thinking of a movie I watched actually, you know, if your character grew up imprisoned in a cell in a castle and manages to escape at the beginning of the story and now is gonna go explore the world, really think about what someone would be like if they grew up in a prison cell. You know, they're not gonna be normal. They're not gonna just react the way any normal person does. So trying to pay attention to what's actually happening in the world and then asking yourself those questions that keep leading you in interesting directions. And I like questions because, because you create a couple of basic assumptions for yourself and then you ask yourself questions about them and about the world. And if you have some general questions you always ask yourself and then you, by answering them, you will learn things about your world you wouldn't think about otherwise. That's why I love this as a technique. It will actually pull new pieces of information out of your brain, force you to create things you wouldn't otherwise create. And there's always going to be the temptation to, I realize I'm ranting here, but there's always the temptation to gloss over the things that are difficult or you feel like are going to interfere with the story you want to tell. And a lot of times those are things that other creators, other writers gloss over also. But my experience has been that if you dig into those subjects, you'll end up with a really unique, I hate saying really unique, but you'll end up with a unique setting and a unique story. You know, as an example, digging into how your magic functions. Or with science fiction, I really dug into how my faster-than-light travel worked, which is something that a lot of authors skip over. And I ended up with something that I feel is um, adds a lot to my story that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So, long yeah. answer to a short question, but hopefully that makes sense. Oh, that did. Um, yeah, and then I'm wondering, you have all this information that you've come up with um, through, you know, your questions that you're coming with. How do you apply this to a story without totally, completely info dumping on your <laughs> it, it is one of the great challenges of speculative fiction. Uh, info dumping, we've gotten better as a genre. As genre. Uh, if you look at fantasy from the 1980s or even 1990s, there's a lot more info dumping than you see now. So readers have gotten smarter about this, so you don't have to... Uh, you know, overdo it. There's a couple of different approaches that are helpful. One is to have a character who doesn't know a lot about the world. So as they learn more about the world, the reader learns more about the world. Aragon's a good example of this. Another uh, approach would be to only tell 
the readers what the characters have reason to think about. There's a science fiction author by the name of C.J. Cherry. She's been around for a long time, written a lot of good stuff. So she writes extremely limited third-person POV, which means that she'll write a character who lives on a space station and has a best friend who's an alien. And you, the reader, may not realize either of those two things until you're halfway through the book because the main character never thinks about the fact that she lives on a space station or never thinks about the fact that her best friend is an alien because it's just her best friend, right? That's an extreme. It, it it's, can work, but that's an extreme. Ultimately, I think you have to ask yourself, what information does the reader need to know in order to enjoy the story. They don't need all the information at once, but they do need it at some point. And what is the most unobtrusive way to thread that into this world? Uh, a lot of times I will overdo it in my first draft. I'll just throw in a little too much just so that it's there. And then when I then I can go back when I reread the manuscript and decide what's actually necessary, and usually I trim it back. Not always, though. For my science fiction book, I actually had my editors coming back and saying, uh, you, you actually didn't provide enough information. Could you please flesh out X, Y, and Z? Uh, and that was because I overcompensated after writing the fantasy. But yeah, you really want to avoid info dumping. That's a really fast way to lose your audience's attention. I often will just put a book down if I start feeling like the author is is basically lecturing me on how the world works. I mean, as, lo as long as things make sense to your characters and, and you're able to either convey through context or explicitly what needs to be conveyed, you're, you're probably good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, how do you kind of create a unique voice in your writing um, and avoid making your story style seem bland? Because now you've got this story that you've kind of built your world and avoided info dumping, you know, you're on your way to create a story. How do you kind of make it yours? I'm so glad you asked because this is something I struggled with when I was starting. You know, all of these authors talk about, you know, their authorial voice, right? And, and you go, well, how do you get that? Where does this voice come from, right? It was very puzzling to me when I was a teenager. So there are a couple of answers to this. One is, you could look at some other author's style that you really admire, whether it's a historical style or something unique to this one person, and you could still just copy it. You could say, I'm going to write in this style as best as I can, and you could just copy it. Uh, the downside of that is because it's not your natural writing style, you may not do a very good job of it, uh, at least compared with the original writer. But you can learn a lot from attempting to emulate some other person's style. So that's that's one approach. Like you could look at Dickens or Jane Austen or Tolkien and say, okay, I'm gonna write like this. The other answer, and I think this is the better answer, is that your voice comes from who you are. The very fact that you are writing the story makes it unique. There is only one you in the universe, so far as we know. So don't try to be someone else. Try to be the best version of you that exists. Now, there are going to be some similarities between you and every other human on this planet, and maybe some specific humans, but that's okay. There also will be differences based off of who you are. And by solving the same writing problems over and over and over again over the course of 
an entire book and years and years of work. Problems like, how do I get my characters in and out of a room? How do I pace a scene? How do I structure dialogue? How do I describe things? How, 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 how? By solving those problems over and over and over and over again, you will develop a shorthand. You will know how you want to say things because you've done it 10,000 times. And in fact, what ends up happening is you become impatient. You've been like, I've I've done this so many times. You know what? What's the fastest way I can do this and still achieve the effect I want to achieve? And that how you choose to focus is your voice. How you solve those problems is your voice. And you will do things in idiosyncratic ways. You will do things in ways that are almost maybe mistakes if someone else did it, but become central parts of your voice. You know, you can look at like Stephen King or J.K. Rowling, and the way they solve problems is different from each other. But, and, and maybe would be a mistake if the other person did it in their style, but it's unique to them and it gives it that flavor that you don't find anywhere else. Yeah. Well, so your voice, that's really makes me kind of motivated to write because I've always been like, I need to have this like elaborate, awesome, like unique voice that everyone loves, but it's kind of just like you are who you are. Um, but my other thing that I struggle with when I'm like comparing myself to other authors um, is how do you kind of create a unique plot? Because a lot of times there's kind of... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because you're asking the guy who wrote a story about a a boy with a magic sword off to defeat an evil kill him, an evil king on how to, <laughs> how to invent a unique plot. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess I realize that there's like similar plots but i know that there's a lot of times you find books that kind of take the normal and make it their own in a way that you would mm -hmm. never expect so mm -hmm. how do you do that that might be a better question well i'll go back to what i just said the very fact that you are writing something will make it different than if someone else wrote it you could take the exact same story outline give it to 10 different authors and you would end up with 10 completely different books at the end of that. And that's because what appeals to you in a story may not appeal to me, you know, specifically. You might, you know, find a certain piece of action very, very interesting and exciting. Or you might find a certain piece of character interaction or a certain character themselves, you know, what they care about and who they are might appeal to you personally. And so that's what you'll be drawn to when you write this story that we're all sharing if in this hypothetical situation. So that alone is going to make something different. Uh, the other thing I would say is you have to be guided by the things you care about. You know, if I had tried to go write a story that was completely unique, and now A, that's impossible, but B, if that had been my goal when I was starting out, I wouldn't have actually written the story I wanted to write and I wanted to read. You know, I liked traditional adventure stories. I liked traditional fantasy stories, so that's what I wrote. Um, you know, with science fiction, it was very similar. I liked certain things, and and, and so that's what I wrote about. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to feel ashamed of what affects you emotionally, and. If something affects you emotionally, if, if, if you imagine a scene, if you imagine a character, if you imagine a place or an image or something, and it makes you feel something deeply, then 
there's power there. There's magic there. And you should pursue it because if you can recreate that feeling you're having, if you can recreate it in your audience, you can write for the rest of your life and have a career doing it because that's 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 hard to do and people look for that. You know, ideas and facts are relatively easy to convey in writing. What's what's difficult is emotion because emotion is subjective. You know, if I say the word rock, you see a different rock in your head. Maybe you don't see any rock, maybe you see a pebble, maybe you don't have an image in your head you have different associations with that word than I do. Maybe someone gave you a special rock in your life, you know, maybe this, maybe that. There are, there are so many things in our lives that influence how we feel about that one word. And that's true for every single word. And that's why reading is so subjective. You know, movies are maybe a little less subjective, but even there, it's it, we all react differently. So to successfully invoke or, yeah, create the emotion you want to create in your audience is, I think, the height of art. And that's why I come back to what is it you feel and what do you react to and what, is, what drives you. I wouldn't worry about trying to create something that's 100% unique. You know, you, you follow your emotions and that will lead you into places that someone else's emotions wouldn't necessarily. Yeah. Well... I guess my next question is, how do you have your characters relate and feel these emotions when you're creating these such abstract abstract worlds that kind of may seem bizarre? Well, you have to ground it in, in understandable uh, motivations. So, okay, we, we're in a world with dragons, but Aragorn's motivations, the things he cares about, are very personal. They're very human. You know, he, he loses his family. You know, that makes him angry and and sad and he's going out into the world and learning about it and and everything he's reacting to is very local it's very personal in a lot of ways even even when there's bigger stuff going on it's the same thing with the science fiction is you know my main character her concerns are for the most part although they get bigger over the course of the story but her concerns are always immediate in some way and that's what makes people relate to a story no matter how abstract you know it's it's like it actually this is this this is an older problem people used to ask how do i write a villain uh, or an unsympathetic character and make people care about them and one of the cheapest ways but effective ways of doing this is you give that character something to care about Okay, so your 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 unsympathetic person robs banks and kills people, but you know what? He calls his mom on the weekends, and he has a little kitten that he takes care of. Ah, see, you're smiling. I, I <laughs> right, right. Okay, he's a horrible person, but you know what? If he gets into trouble with the police and he gets you know injured or thrown in jail or even shot, you know what? People are going to be worried about that kitten, and they're going to feel sad that his mom's not going to get that call on the weekend, right? You know, things like that. Having your characters care about things really helps yeah so i guess kind of going off that because now my brain is kind of wrapping around all these different things world building plotting yeah. style like all these things how do you kind of like organize your thoughts in a way where you can hit all those marks mm. and make a like understandable story well I'll, I'll step back for a second there's even a bigger issue with all of this which is 
what it is you're trying to say in a thematic sense. This is a, this is like a philosophical statement. Some people don't put a lot of thought into this with their stories, and I think it it affects their stories badly. Now, I'm not saying you need to be preaching to your audiences. That you, you probably shouldn't be preaching to your audiences. That's not what you're trying to, trying to do. But you should put some thought into what your story is saying philosophically. You know, okay, you're writing a coming-of-age story about what it means to grow up. Well, what does it mean to grow up? You know, what is your statement on what it means to grow up and how you do that? Having some idea on a very, very big scale of what your story is trying to say, you may not succeed with your first draft. In fact, you may write your first draft and decide that the story is actually about something else, but it helps to have that guideline. And then as far as your question about like, how do you pull all this, all this together? You create your world, you create your story, you create your characters, you have your notes, and then hopefully you have enough in your head that when you go to write, you have a pretty good idea what every single scene is supposed to do. Now, that might sound daunting, but if you can get to that level of understanding, your writing will be so much more powerful. Your scenes will be punchy. Your scenes will end at the moment when the greatest change has occurred in that scene, because why do you keep writing? You know, if you've said what you need to say, you move on to the next scene. Uh, and, and what's important to understand, too, is you can't, um, unless you're uh, a genius <laughs> or a, a writing freak, you probably can't do it all at once. Because if you think about what you're trying to do when you're writing, you're trying to create these characters, be true to their emotions, pace the scene appropriately, convey information uh, possibly about the world they're in, if it's speculative fiction like science fiction or fantasy, uh, be entertaining in whatever you're doing, uh, possibly thread in information about the you know, foreshadowing and other things, and write beautiful prose on top of that. That's a lot to keep in your brain all at once. So that's why if you do some world building before you start writing, hopefully some of the world information is instinctive at that point so you don't have to think about it too much if you do your if you plot your story before you write it again hopefully that saves you some mental capacity so that you don't have to work out what needs to be happening as you're writing it all of this work i'm talking about is basically to free up neurons in your brain to focus on the things that really matter when you're writing and those things are the characters the dialogue and the prose style and the pacing if you're having to also world build and also plot, I personally don't have the bandwidth for that. If you think about your brain like a computer, it's like my brain is my computer is already running at full speed just trying to write the prose, write the characters, and pace the scenes. If I'm trying to also world build and plot, smoke starts coming out of the computer. So uh, get a general feel or even a specific feel for your setting. Get a very good specific feel for the events of the story and why it matters for the characters and who the characters are. And then you can write. Um, and in terms of like how long that takes to get to that point, if I'm starting from scratch and I have a good idea for a story, I would say I would definitely be ready to write within a month. Uh, possibly sooner if it's a shorter story if, and if I really have a good feel on what I'm trying to do. 
uh, if, if it's a universe or a setting I'm creating from scratch, I might give myself up to say, let's say three months, you know, depending on the difficulties. Uh, it might take longer, but I would recommend not taking longer if you can help it, especially when you're starting out. Yeah. Okay. Well, that kind of concludes my questions, but I'm just wondering if you have any other advice on world building, plotting, and style that you would like to share with our teams that I didn't bring up. Ooh. I mean, we've, we've talked about a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of it, again, goes back to getting a clear idea of what you're trying to say and what you're trying to accomplish and keeping in mind the feeling that you're attempting to capture and convey to the audience. And hopefully that's the thing that inspired you to write the story in the first place. So it gives you motivation to write. Uh, maintaining your own uh, motivation and your enthusiasm for the story is incredibly important. You know, something to keep in mind is that humans are built for short-term rewards. You know, you see a candy bar, you want to eat it. Uh, you, you, you know, you, you go, you make a post on social media and you want to see how many likes it gets or how many responses it gets. You know, we, we like our short-term rewards. And the problem with writing a book is that the reward or rewards doesn't come until a year later or a couple of years later. That's too long to wait for, re for rewards. So you need to find ways to feel successes and wins every day. And that might feel impossible, but it's really important. You need to feel a sense of joy out of the work in some way. You know, people talk about discipline, but I, I firmly believe that we're, we're all pleasure-seeking animals in a, in a sense. You know, th those crazy people who get up at five in the morning to go for a three-mile run every single day, I, I don't understand them. But you know what? The thing is, they're not doing it because they're disciplined. They're consistent, but they're doing it because it gives them a sense of reward in one way or another, whether it's from the fitness they have, whether it's from being able to eat things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to eat, whether it's from you know, being able to compete in marathons, whether it's, you know, a sense of superiority, whatever it is, it gives them a sense of reward that makes getting up at five in the morning to go for a three mile run worth it. The same thing is true for the writing. You need to find things every day in your writing process that give you a little serotonin boost, that give you a little sense of happiness. So maybe it's as simple as you say, I write a thousand words a day. This is who I am. This is how I define myself. I write a thousand words a day, or I write a page a day, whatever. And then every time you do that, it doesn't matter if it's a good thousand words, doesn't matter if it's a bad thousand words, you feel a sense of success because you did what you set out to do. Uh, and that, that sort of thing makes a big, big difference for your long-term success. Yeah, yeah, I, I really love that. Okay, so now we're gonna move on to some audience questions. We covered a couple of them. So hopefully we got those answered, um, but we just have two questions that I feel like are still relevant. Um, how do you plot your stories? And then the other question is how do you plot a series? So I think those two go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so plotting a book, I would say very, very mechanically how I would do this would be taking that original idea, whatever it is, and then sitting down with a notebook and working out some of the, some of the world where the story is going to take place and then thinking about 
thinking about the energy levels of the story. I say energy levels. Um, you could think of it like the volume or the tempo of a piece of music. You know, you wouldn't want a piece of music that's all the same volume and that's all the same tempo. It's, I mean, you can do it, but it, it's not as interesting as when you vary those things. So you can think of it as, you know, we start at one point of energy, one point of the story where, where things are kind of low energy. You know, something changes. Now we get a spike of energy. Something has changed. Something has happened. You can't sustain that now. So now we go down a little bit in energy, but we don't go back to the, the base level. We don't go back to where we started. We just go down a little bit and then something new happens. And then we go up a little bit higher spike and we keep going up and up and up. And if you're writing a series, the climax of book one should be this really high moment of energy, emotional energy and physical energy. And then for book two, you reset, you, you, you come back down to a lower level, but you don't reset to the level of book one. You don't start at the level of book one. And then hopefully you build to an even higher level at the end of book two. Uh, if you're plotting a series, you really have to spend some time and think about your B plots, C plots, D plots, however many subplots you have and how those get woven through the different books. You know, so maybe your B plot starts partway through book one. Maybe it starts at the beginning of book two. You know, where does it conclude? Where do we have these, these moments that contrast with the main story? And what do, they, what do they say about the main story in contrast? So for example, if your main story is about someone who's struggling to grow up, then your subplots can be about people who you know, have learned to grow up in different ways. And these are these are like you're showing the alternate versions of your main character to your audience. As an example, you know, you don't have to do that. That's one way to approach it. So you can think about it as, you know, there's always the, this is often used when describing stories. It's an intricately woven tapestry. Um, but you can think about these like threads, you know, so your main thread is the main story. And when it goes up, maybe the subplot goes down. When the main plot goes down, maybe the subplot goes up and vice versa. And all of these things move together in interesting ways. I, I realize this is kind of abstract, but thinking of your story as having a physical structure can be very helpful. Uh, and then again, going back to asking questions, answering questions, and then writing it down. I usually do about a paragraph of text per scene, uh, depending on the scene. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's just a line. And that description tells me what happens in the scene, who's present, why does what happens matter to the characters, and how do they react. Uh, a story is, you can define a story as a character wants something and can't get it. And they try to get it over the course of the story. And they fail at every point along the story, although even perhaps they're getting closer and closer to their goal throughout the, the story, but they keep failing and they only succeed at the very end. Uh, and every time they fail, they have to change their approach to, to try to get, you know, what they want to get. So, you know, if, if uh, your main character wanted to climb a mountain and they tried to climb it and they, you know, lose a shoe partway up the mountain, okay, now we got to change our approach. Maybe they break an ankle, now we got to change our approach. You know, uh, if it's a longer story, you know, it takes place over the course of years, maybe they've had kids and they don't have time to hike. Uh, you know, there's all these things, these, these barriers, and then your character changes their approach, tries something new, uh, and ultimately 
I think the best stories are when at the very last moment of the story or the 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 moment of confrontation between your main character and the antagonistic force whatever that is if you're if it's not a tragedy if your main character is going to succeed they succeed because of everything they've learned everything they've gone through and when that happens in a story, it's incredibly satisfying. It's like a key fitting into a lock, and everything clicks into place, and you just get this euphoric flood of emotions. Like, yes, it all, you know, it's it's a wonderful thing. I, that, that's, that moment is why I write. And if it's a tragedy, that is, the character fails, then they should fail for the same reasons that they would have succeeded. You know, they fail because of their character flaw. They fail because of these, you know, events we've seen over the course of the series. So, as you can tell, I I like stories that make sense. I'm, I, I'm maybe more logical than I should be in some ways, but there's a lot of room for emotion in all of this, and there's a lot of room for discovery. You know, you can work out your world, you can plot your story, but when you write your book, you are still going to discover new things about the characters in the world, and you should still be open to that as you write. You know, don't be afraid of following what makes sense as you're writing, because sometimes those instincts are better than what you sort of come up with when you're not in the heat of the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that answer. It kind of made me kind of see the picture a little bit better than I have before. Yeah, if you can kind of visualize the structure of a story as a whole in your brain, that can be really useful. You know, there's some authors who will actually take um, their outline or even the text of their book and they'll shrink down the font size in MS Word and they'll print out the whole book in like 100 pages or even less, you know, like like 50 pages, and they'll put it on the floor so they can see the whole book and then they can see the pacing. They say, oh, this chunk of pages is this part of the story. This chunk of pages is this part of the story. And then, well, this is, you know, look at this. This is this is way too long in this section, so I'm going to cut down that number. You know, it lets them see the whole book as a physical thing at once. Now, I don't think you could do that with like a Brandon Sanderson book or one of my <laughs> books. Um, not very easily, but you can do it with sections of the story and that can be helpful. Yeah. What can teens do now to start a writing career? Uh, write. Just, just, just write. <laughs> write every <laughs> single day. Uh, and then I'd, I'd say do a little bit of reading to learn about some of the things to some of the things you can do to prepare. So one would be reading some books on story structure, also some books on prose style, because that'll be very helpful. I do recommend Style by F.L. Lucas. There's also another book called Shakespeare's Metrical Art, which will teach you lots of poetic techniques. Uh, and then you can start doing research on the professional side of publishing, which would be how to get an agent, how to submit to an agent, how to submit to a publisher, whether or not you want to self-publish with an ebook, and all of that. Uh, so start doing some reading on those sides of things. But uh, if you know if you are a teenager, and I say this having been in your shoes, uh, it is not too early to start writing and pursuing this. You know there are a, a lot of the professional authors you see nowadays got started as teens. Now maybe they only got published in their mid-twenties or their mid-thirties, but if you actually go back and look at their career, you'll find that, oh yeah, they wrote their first book at 18, or they published short stories at, you know, 16 to 20, uh, and, you know, they were already getting started. Because the thing is, if you start writing now, 
you get a huge head start. You don't want to start writing if you can help it. You don't want to start writing in your mid-twenties or your mid-thirties because, I mean, again, you can do it, and if someone's doing it, I don't want to discourage them, but you are having to make up for lost time at that point. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, last question, where can people find you? Everywhere. Um, I have a large website uh, called paulini.net, which has lots of news and information about my books and what I'm up to. I also have a website called fractalverse.net, which is specifically for uh, my science fiction and has tons of concept art from Hollywood artists and music and fan art and all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you know, Twitter is at Paolini, that sort of thing. Uh, so uh, you can find me in all of those places. I tend to post lots of silly things like videos on how to shave Angora rabbits, as well as puns and occasional bits of writing advice. Okay. Well, I think we've gotten a lot of good advice for our teens to kind of help them get better at writing. I hope so. I mean, ultimately, my message would be you can do this. It may feel overwhelming. It may feel daunting. Uh, I know it feels daunting at times, but you know, one of my biggest problems when I was starting out was wondering whether or not this was actually possible because I wasn't aware of anyone my age who had gotten published. Now, I, now that I'm older, I do know of plenty of people who were teenagers when they were first published, but I didn't know of any of them when I was starting out. So I'm here to say you can do it. If you're willing to put the work in, and if you're willing to accept that you're going to write lots of stuff that doesn't work, and that's okay, but if you love stories, and if you feel these things, and if you want to convey that to other people, then yeah, you can do this, and there's a huge audience for it. You know, More people are writers now than any other time in history, and there are more people reading than any other time in history, so it is a great time to be a writer. Um, and uh, I wish all of you the very best of luck. Are your favorite authors pantsers or plotters? Or a mix of both, a planter? Here comes our lightning round. Let's get to know our favorite authors with fun and possibly silly lightning round questions. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Definitely a plotter. And I've known quite a few pantsers who've become plotters as they've gotten older. I have never known a plotter to become a pantser. And if you are creating, especially imaginary worlds, I think it serves you well and is going to save a lot of time down the road to be a plotter first. You're going to have to put the work in one way or another. Uh, ultimately, how you're comfortable putting in the work is up to you, but for me, plotter. Okay. What is your guilty pleasure read? Ooh, um... You know, I don't have any guilty pleasure reads because I don't feel guilty about the things I enjoy reading. Uh, I, I really enjoy uh, like some Tom Clancy thriller military style novels. Uh, I really enjoy those. I really enjoy the Wizard of Earthsea trilogy by Ursula K. Le Guin, which was, is in no way, shape, or form a guilty pleasure. It's just a straight up pleasure. Um, but yeah, I like, I like thrillers. Okay. Why do you write and what keeps you going? I write because stories, along with music and movies, are one of the few things in the world that give me a really strong emotional response. I mean, many things do, you know, nature, family, things like that. But when I read a great story, and I reach the end, and things work out in a really beautiful way, I do. I get this 
rush of emotion. And to me, it's a it's, it's an amazing feeling. And that's what I'm hoping to share with my audience. Yeah. What is or was the worst part of the COVID pandemic for you? The worst part has been worrying about the safety of friends and family. Also, if this is simply professionally, uh, I was uh, I released a book during the pandemic, and uh, I had been planning on uh, a kind of <laughs> a rather massive book tour and lots of publicity for that. And of course, all those plans changed uh, during the pandemic. But really, the biggest one was worrying about friends and family. Yeah. You could meet up with any book character for lunch. Who would it be and why? Ooh, probably the dragon Sephira, because uh, she's the reason I wrote the inheritance cycle in the first place. And uh, I think she'd be fun to uh, have some barbecue with. <laughs> I love that. Um, what is the best thing about being a writer? Getting to tell stories for a living. You know, all of this talk, everything I've said today, all of which is just a fancy way of, of, of you know, telling made up stories, which is so much fun, you know, never lose sight of how much fun it is. If you have fun and you can make your audience have fun and make them feel things, uh, you're golden. Okay. If you weren't a writer, what would you be and why? I would either be an artist. Uh, I've done all of the interior art for my books over the years, uh, or I would be a woodworker or a metal worker. I like make, I like making things. You know, whether it's making stories or making art uh, or making a cabinet or something, I enjoy creating. So uh, it would be one of those things. Yeah. If you could have a billboard that said anything you want on it, what would it say and why? Maybe maybe a big billboard that just says, read more. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I think there needs to be more readers. I mean, we have so many readers already, but... But we can always use more. Yeah. What is your favorite song to get you out of a writing funk? Ooh, um, it's... Uh, I really love this this track called Swimming from the uh, soundtrack for Waterworld. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. And, um... Yeah. I really okay. like that. And then, and then also there's, um... Ah, here it is. Uh, I, I, you know what? I don't have the name of the track, but it's by Hans Zimmer, and it's uh, I think it's the Batman theme, where it's just this pounding, racing piece of music, and uh, it gets my blood racing, and it, it's really good for getting out of a out of a rut. What is your idea of the perfect date? <laughs> uh, perfect date would be uh, watching a movie having a nice dinner together and getting to sit out on the deck and look at the stars and talk about life. That's awesome. That sounds pretty perfect. What is your ideal writing time? Morning, night? Are you the person that wakes up at like 1 a.m. to write? <laughs> no, I'm the person who's still up at 1 a.m. writing. <laughs> uh, my ideal writing time is usually about, I'll say two in the afternoon. Uh, through to maybe five or six and then around ten in the evening nine in the evening to two in the morning is a great writing time also I'm definitely a night owl I like 
all my greatest ideas come at like what the most inconvenient hour of the night. <laughs> I actually keep a notebook by the side of my bed because I've lost too many ideas otherwise. So if you get an idea, write it. This is a pro tip here. If you get an idea, write it down immediately because there's no guarantee you'll remember it. Also make lots of backups, lots and lots of backups. I consistently have four backups going for my files at any time. Uh, that is one on the computer, one in a cloud, uh, one on another computer in my house, and then one on an actual physical hard drive that's outside of the house and stored elsewhere. So I have never lost any material from a computer crash because of this. Yeah, that's really smart. Would you rather vacation to a tropical location or a snowy location? Um, depends on the time of year. I'll say tropical at the moment, but uh, uh, actually, at the moment, I'd like snow. <laughs> it's it's so hot and smoky right here. Snow would be wonderful. But uh, no, I mean, like, going to Hawaii or something would be wonderful. Yeah. If you could have written any book ever written, which book would it be and why? All of them. All of them. All of them. <laughs> Every single book. <laughs> there, there were, the, the computer was, there was smoke coming out of the computer there for a second. Uh, yeah, uh, all of them. I, I can't. Yeah, there's too many books I wish I could have written. Yeah. Um, why do you think teens should join TABC? Well, because of the great resources. You get to listen to talks and interviews like this one, and it uh, seems like a great way to continue educating yourself and inspiring you yourself as a teen author. Yeah. And it's a resource I wish had been around when I was starting. Yeah. That's what I've, I've heard from a ton of authors that come from to Teen Author Bootcamp. They're like, I wish I had this. And I'm very grateful that I do. And all the teens can today. What is your hope for the future generation of authors? That they'll continue to write interesting stories and, and stories that we can't even imagine at the moment. You know, culture is a conversation. You know, we read what has been written, and we think about it, and we change it, and we, we move in different directions, we comment on what has come before. Art does not get created in a vacuum. So uh, my greatest hope for uh, your generation and generations after, after us would be that uh, people learn how to tell interesting stories, and that they're able to do that as a career and make a living at it, and that we all get to enjoy the creative fruits of their efforts. Yeah. Okay. Well, sadly, that is the end of the interview. I've loved learning from you and talking to you, and it's been awesome. This was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I can't wait. I'm going to hop on the um, Aragon train and read all the books as fast <laughs> as I possibly can. And then I'll be updated with all your new releases, hopefully, before the next one comes out. We'll see if that, I can make that happen. Exactly. My, Maybe not, but we'll see. I'm sure you can. Well, this was a lovely interview. Thank you so much for your, all of your wonderful questions. And again, I wish everyone listening the very best of luck with their own writing. Um, you know, I know how difficult it can be. So I'm, I'm here to say, take a deep breath. You're going to be okay. You can do this. It's not, e it's not always easy. You know, I think it's too much to expect life or work to be easy. It's not always easy but you can do it and it can be incredibly rewarding and there's nothing like the experience of hearing someone who hearing from someone who read your work 
and really loved it and who felt something for it the way that we have all felt things for the books that we've read. So uh, with that, I just say go forth, be awesome, and I can't wait to read your books someday. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of The Next Bestseller. Find out more information about TABC at Teen Author Bootcamp on social media and at teenauthorbootcamp.net. As well as follow at The Next Bestseller on Instagram to keep a lookout for more episode releases. You can find out more about our events and sign up to have your work critiqued on a future podcast. Make sure to tune in next time for more writing tips and tricks and to learn more about your favorite authors. Here's to one of us writing the next bestseller. Happy writing!